0: we last saw each other in
1: 2019 right yeah we were just uh, trying to figure out when the last event actually was and i was doing the same actually earlier with thinking about these athletes that are going to be racing at the europeans thinking when was the last time these guys will have actually done a side-by-side 2k and then i was thinking lint 2019 probably and then i was like that's the last time i'd have seen anyone or i'd have even been at an event and that's the same us, right ben like that's been almost a year and a half now that um we've not been around the the boat park and chatting away and, and getting involved in the action but um, it's almost I keep saying last year you know I was saying this to you just before I keep saying oh last year when we were in Linz or in Tokyo or, or wherever we were um, it's almost like last year didn't exist it's just gone so slowly but so quickly at the same time.
0: Yeah well hopefully that a bit of normality will come back soon. I've been really looking forward to doing this because doing my research it's really interesting you've been involved in so many facets of rowing it's actually quite incredible because you're now um commentating but you've volunteered uh you've organized and you've, of course you've actually rowed yourself really successfully
1: <laughs> yeah i kind of think about the last uh, i was again trying to figure out before i did this coming on to chat to you how long I've been involved in the sport and all the events that I've been involved with and yeah it's been about 17 years now since I first sat on an ergo um not knowing what was going to come next really and I think if you'd have asked my parents 17 years ago um what I'd be doing right now I don't think their answer would have been (laughs) commentating for world rowing and and jetting off around the world because I think at that point they were just keen to you know not spend their entirety of their life savings on membership of the boat club and they were quite keen for me to you know still just sit in something a little bit more uh yeah something a little bit more regular but uh no they warmed to it eventually and um yeah uh, it's given me so many opportunities it's uh, as I say so many different avenues that I've been able to take part in so yeah looking looking forward to kind of remembering all of that throughout this chat
0: yeah, so take me back to the start then. When did you first try rowing or even find out about it?
1: So, like I said, 17 years ago, I was a year seven um, at my local high school, Stratford up on Avon High School from the Midlands. Um, and I was not a very sporty child. Um, and I was at state school, so definitely not the usual route to, to rowing, um, especially at junior level. Um, and... There was a a project at the time that, I say British Rowing, but at the time they were the ARA, right, um, had come up with called Project Awesome. And it was kind of off the back of both the 2000 and 2004 Olympics, where they were looking to generate more interest in rowing um, with school children that wouldn't usually have access to a rowing club. So. They reached out to a lot of rowing clubs in in all the different regions and, and gave them grants for um a set of boats and uh, a bit of a kind of pot of money to be able to access to bring on new members initially on the indoor rower um get them kind of engaged and and up for it and then eventually um some singles uh that were some nice little you know yanasek singles that they'd donated to, to each of these clubs that took part in the project um, and that's how I got started so my local club Stratford of maven Boat Club came into my school and a couple of the other schools in the area and ran an indoor rowing uh, after school club basically um, that was um, on a Monday night I remember being on a Monday evening after school and the only reason I signed up was because my best friend from primary school who was in the year above me um had done it the year before and she'd then done the year of her year seven year and she'd got on the water by that point and she was like oh come on it's great you get to go around the water and you should absolutely if you get a chance and they do it again this year you should sign up to it so i sat there in the, the school assembly and and you know as soon as they were like oh after school rowing club you you might get to row on the water once you've gone through the initial however many weeks it was of indoor training I was straight there and the the only reason I went I was like I really didn't like sport Ben at all I was really awful terrible like the person that sat at the back in hockey like would stick on the ground in defense and didn't move anywhere that was my usual role um so so it definitely was not the kind of first thing on my list of Oh, I'll I'll be really good at this and and I'll be really sporty. It was more to just chat with my mates and um, something different. And yeah, I kind of went along every Monday night. I remember having to run laps around our gym as a warm up, which again, bearing in mind what I've just told you about how athletically inclined i was was not great and i think several times i was like don't think this is for me like can't even face the laps around the sports hall as a warm-up like not sure about this um and eventually i once you know we had these two really old concept to like model c ergos the ones with like the wooden handles and um we sort of bash up and down for a few minutes and they give us some technical advice but really you know all we wanted to do was Bit of racing and a bit of chatting, all that sort of stuff. Um, and after a few weeks, I, I remember the the guy who was the the president of the club at the time, who had like to come to learn and obviously be involved with the club for a lot longer. Um, a guy called Felix, who kind of pulled me aside at the end and went, "You're actually really strong." Um, did, you know you're pulling some really good scores we'd love to see you if you want to carry on and and we'd love to see you come down and do the water stuff if you think you can do it um we'd love to see you keep coming along and so yeah I kind of continued it on into the summer like I say my my parents I think but be, be begrudgingly drove me down to the club <laughs> twice a week to sit in the single with the the rope attached to it watch me fall in a few times do my roll-ups and my, my circle hands and all those kind of things um and yeah i I guess I guess at that point I wasn't you know still wasn't very good um just again still going down because I'd made a few good mates out of it and I wasn't going particularly far on the water but my indoor rowing scores were still pretty good we were still obviously doing pieces on the the ergo once a week to keep up fitness and at the end of that year um we were sort of asked to join the boat club, you know, they were like, if you want to carry on, you need to become a junior member and you'll get given a coach into year eight and all that sort of stuff. Um, And I think there was a discussion at that point that was like, Oh, if you carry on pulling these scores, we're going to enter you into the British indoor champs in the, in the winter. And I was like, Oh, that sounds cool. Get to go to the NEC Birmingham again, nice and local Midlands. Um, And Yeah, I guess it was the thought of finally being okay at something that made me beg my parents to give, you know, pay for that first year of membership. And they kept going, you know, you really must carry this on. You know, we we're not doing this, and then you're giving up halfway through. You really have to commit to this for the year. And we're going, yeah, 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 of course, yeah. Um, So yeah, that's kind of how my rowing journey started.
0: And how did you do at the indoors?
1: Well, um the so in what was it, year eight, it must have been what would I have been a J13. No, yeah, J13. and I think I did the team event at the indoors that year. That would make sense. And I did a bit of um singling. Maybe I won the indoors. Like I can't remember whether it was J thirteen or J four. J fourteen is the year I remember. So the year after I did the British indoors again, and no, I did win it. J thirteen, Yeah, I did win it. I'm good. <laughs> I'm like I can't remember which one's which. Um. So yeah, that first year in J thirteen, I I went to the indoors, and it. The only reason I remember this is it's three minutes at year eight. You do three minutes, um. And I remember my coach before going going if you can hit these meters you're on target for a gold medal he was one of these coaches blessing been coaching juniors for years and years you know what it's like at you know club club rowing you've got the sort of real core of coaches that have been there for forever and ever and they absolutely love what they do and that was my coach Dave Brooks he was a fantastic coach took me on board amongst the rest of the junior squad and I remember him having this chart and and saying you know here's the percentages and here are the splits. And if you can hold this split time for three minutes, you'll get a gold medal. And I remember looking at it going, yeah, I think I could do that. And so I turned up to Berlin and I, I got the gold medal in that first year. Um, and I don't, it definitely wasn't that year, but the following year at J 14, I then ended up setting the British record for four minutes. And so it, like the chart, the chart is bang on Ben that always listens to the percentage gold medal uh, chart. It's uh, it's usually fairly accurate. So yeah, that was, um, that was pretty cool from being that sort of bigger, not very uh, athletic cumbersome girl in year seven to going and winning a national gold medal. Was I-, I was pretty bowled over to be honest. Um, and really that, that was the point that really started my love affair with the sport. I think
0: I was going to say, was it from then that kind of solidified your relationship with rowing like that you pushed it a bit further
1: yeah I think at that point I I, I, it was then a transition from being able to do that on the indoor rower to being able to do that on the water because I'd I'd not taken to the water particularly well Um, I'd fallen in they used to call me queen of the Atlantis um, in that I'd fallen in like seven times in my first like few weeks in a single (laughs) In a single, um, so and they kept going. You need to keep going in the single because it, you know, it's a small club. There weren't many other juniors to row with. It's not like you know we had masses of girls at my age to put quads and eights and doubles out with. They, you know, so I kept getting pushed out in the single and going. You know, if you can make this work, you're, you know, you can see what you can do on the ergo. Just keep going at it. Keep going at the single. So that's what I did. Um, and again, I was training with a lot of older girls. Because um, it wasn't, you know, we're not a huge club at Stratford, or we weren't. Yeah, you know, they're a lot bigger now than they were, but um, yeah, it it definitely kept me going back for more. And I think that however many times I got upset, and I did get upset a lot in those first few years, <laughs> falling in, and you know, not being yeah. able to put all my power down in the single that I could on the erg. Um, yeah, it. it, it I, I just loved the sport so much. And I love the fact that I felt so welcome and that I felt like I could do, I it was the, the, an environment that really welcomed me, no matter, like, as I say, I, although I got upset about falling in, everyone was always really good about it, right? And there's always the your friends and your coaches that, turn you back up and say, look, go back in the boat and try it again. And um, yeah, if it wasn't for all those people that were so supportive, um, I definitely wouldn't be here now. <laughs> so yeah, um, that's kind of where that all kicked off.
0: That's awesome. So there must've been a point as well where on the water you got really good as well, because I'm looking back in hindsight as well to your kind of junior championship. So there was obviously a great period of time where you were winning races as well, right?
1: Yeah. And again, like credit to my coaches, um, both Dave Brooks and Andy Rowe, who kind of stuck with me through those single years of me. I fell in in my first ever race, Beadley Regatta 2006 or whatever it was, capsized on the start line, took two strokes and I was just too excited um, and just rolled, had to be driven back in the tin blanket on the launch. And uh, the fact that I came back after that, <laughs> As I say, testaments them for keeping me going. Um, but yeah. Got some okay. resilience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And as I say, rowing's a kind sport. We all know this, right? Like no one's gonna um, no one's gonna laugh at you for trying, although I can look back now many years later and go that must have been quite hilarious for everyone who'd come to watch (laughs) um but there I, i i spent a lot of time in the single um between sort of j14 and and j16 um when i couldn't you know obviously it was sculling um couldn't row at that point and then i sort of got to my j16 years and had been winning a couple of like fairly S- sizable events like I, I won the single at the Junior Inter Regionals at in my J15 year which um, was a really nice platform regatta to later things like it's a really nice transitional regatta from you know local level to to national level certainly wasn't the same as winning something like a Nat Schools or a Bit Champs but it for me it was a really good um, stepping stone and then in my sort of J16 year, because again, I was a sort of solo operator in, in my year group, everyone else was you know, um, either a lot older than me or just wanting to do things recreationally. I ended up switching across and starting to sweep. Um, so I started rowing with um, some of the girls in like the J18 years. Um, we made a four and we rode that four when I was a J16. Um, from Stratford and we started going to things like the national schools and, and schools head and we won schools head national schools in this Cox four, which was such great experience, you know, a little bit further removed from the single sculling that I've been doing, but it was really nice to be part of a crew and to start winning medals at things. And um, yeah, that kind of gave me the chance to meet some people from other clubs as well. Um, so I started training with a couple of girls who were at, Local clubs down the road, just to again, club spirit, band together. We're all trying to, you know, work towards the same goal of performing on a national stage or or getting selected for things like the Coupe or, or um, you know, the Worlds. When you get to J16, you start out on that sort of trialing journey if you're interested in it. So I was turning up to Boston and doing those lovely 5Ks, uh, 5K trials in single, in the pair, and yeah, I guess. Um, training with some of those other girls that were quite strong um that it sort of brought me on quite a lot and we rode in pairs which again I would not had the opportunity to do that in either my younger years because obviously you can't sweep until you're 16 but also the fact that I'd not had anyone in my age group that I could row with at a competitive level so we just kind of you know got out I, I rode a pair with a girl called Jasmine Tradell you might know her big brother Lance who's in the boat race uh, and Yasmin went on to do some pretty good cool things as well um and so we sort of bashed up and down the river um in Evesham we got a link with Gloucester Rowing Club as well right at the start of when kind of Gloucester Hartbury was becoming a thing um we were right at the forefront of that we were the sort of first year in my J17 year where the canal at Gloucester I don't know if you've ever been Ben is kind of oodles and oodles of kilometers long and flat and straight. And so it's great for getting mileage in, which my 750-meter U-Bend stretch at Stratford-Upon-Avon was not well-equipped for, for you know, giving me the tools to, to race at GB Trials. So, um, yeah, I think that's kind of what it, I had to kind of then make that decision, like most people at that sort of GCSE A-level stage do where you, you go, well, I've got a lot to focus on to get, you know, now my exams and my GCSEs and my A-levels. And I really want to make the GB squad for, for rowing. It's something that, you know, I've put a lot of time into for the last few years and I'm so close to, um, and you've then got to decide to turn down some of those social things. And, you know, I was doing the owl commute to Gloucester three times a week, my poor parents, again driving me down on the M5 to Gloucester Rowing Club to stick me out a pair to do my (laughs) 16 Ks all in the hope that it would eventually come to something and then yeah 20 the sort of 2009-2010 season was when it all started clicking into place and and we had a really good group of us at Gloucester the sort of three girls myself Yasmin and and Ruth Wyman Um, we kind of had this really nice training group where we'd you know sort of rotate through the pair and we do a bit with the Gloucester girls in a quad and and we got so much experience of rowing with different people and getting the miles in that the trials process for that year just became really I don't want to say enjoyable um that's probably quite a uh, yeah that's probably quite a misrepresentation of what it felt like at the time because it, it definitely does not feel enjoyable going through that um but the results were great right and that's you know, it's a process of going through those things every day, and yeah, we you know went to trials. Myself and Ruth were kind of the pair for most of the year where Yasmin was injured, and we came. We kept coming second at trials in the pair to the Headington girls, which one of those girls is now Fee Gammond, who races in the the GB women's setup. Um, she was in the eight, and um, she's probably going to go to Tokyo this year. Don't want to jinx her. Um, but, um, yeah, it was herself and, and another, girl from Headington that we kept coming second to, um, and then, yeah, we sort of rolled all the way through to the, the world championships, uh, selection that year, which were in Rititse and it was the first girls eight that they'd ever sent to the world, I think for Great Britain, but like, it certainly yeah, I think it was the first eight or the second eight that they'd ever sent. Um, so yeah, it was quite cool that we had eight of us from across the UK that they felt were all at a standard to to go and race at the world for the first time in a very long time, which was fantastic.
0: Absolutely. What do you remember uh, about the experience there? Like, can you remember the race itself?
1: Yeah, <laughs> do you know what? I do remember the race really vividly only because... It was absolutely hammering it down with rain um I've, have you been to Retreat Sober and have you ever been to the course in the Czech Republic yes so it it was really nice for the whole week you know for our our heat um we won our heat so we didn't have to do the rep and then for our final it was it genuinely felt like it only rained for our race because you're so focused on it at the time but I remember us sitting on the start line and they had to delay a race start time for the final because the TV cam, like the GPS um, camera unit or the stuff that they used to track, you know in the bow numbers had been like messed up by a like strike of lightning and so they'd like called the start they had us sat on the start for about 10 minutes and all of us are obviously just really ready to go (laughs) like you know getting absolutely freezing we were like completely and utterly like drenched to the core and there was a point I just remember all of us being like we just want to get this underway like I don't even care I just want to get to the finish line like you built up everything in your mind (laughs) for this one moment and then it'd been delayed and it, yeah, it just got to that point where we really had to kind of refresh and reset. And and yeah, once we were underway, it was fine, but um, the heavens opened and it was like awful. And all of the pictures of our race that were just like completely nothing. Like my hair is stuck to my face and we're all like in like see-through tops because it had rained so much. Um, but yeah, I didn't actually notice it that much in the race from, from memory, but um, I do remember... The other thing I remember is coming into the last 250 and our big rivals, our closest crew on time were the Americans. And I remember us being a length up on the Americans coming into 250 meters to go and our cocks being like, yeah, that, like we've done enough, like we're gonna win the race. And yeah, it was really quite, um, uh, yeah, it was the weirdest weirdest feeling um, going into that finish line.
0: Why, why weird?
1: Um, just I the fact I can remember it now and it was just a really surreal experience that it kind of played out the way I imagined it to play out, uh, but it was actually happening. I know that sounds really strange to say, but, um, and then when you cross the line, you kind of think, oh, we've just done that. But, and there's no, like, you, you sort of celebrate as a crew, but then it's just quiet. And then there's all that kind of waiting around and spinning the boat and waiting for the medal ceremony, and you just get a lot of time to kind of process what's just happened. And um, I remember again, like on the build up, we we sort of didn't really think about what it would mean to to win a world championship gold, and um, it was just a great group of girls, and we just wanted to you know see how fast we could get the boat to go. And we'd had a really terrible like. You know, really terrible run at Cavisham before we went, like that sort of week that the juniors get running into the worlds where the seniors are away, so they get to do some pieces at Cavisham. Like we'd gone to Cavisham, and our percentage times were terrible. We were bottom of the pile. Like all the <laughs> other boats going, like all the boys' boats, because we were the only girls' boat that went. Um, so it was like all the boys' crews on percentage times were just like way, way, way ahead of us, and we were going to Ritchie'say, and, and we were just thinking well you know who we're probably who knows where we're going to come right we're just going to have to buckle down and and see what we do and so we went on this sort of uh, yeah uh, purge for getting faster and you know those incremental sort of bits that um, those little changes that we were making and yeah we were coached by Ryan Domain who is the head coach at Headington Girls School fantastic coach like one of the best coaches I've ever had like really really um, detail oriented and like just knew the small changes that needed to be made to make the whole unit go faster. I think that was the main thing that he was really good at was looking at the boat as a whole. Um, and yeah, he he sort of, um, it, it, we sort of went away. And so I think the reason I say it was weird to cross that line in first place was because the two weeks prior, we'd been right at the bottom of percentages and going in thinking, you know, who knows where we're going to end up. We don't want to disappoint the the selectors that had put a lot of faith into sending your girls eight, which as I say, was kind of unheard of and and they sort of had to fight hard to, to justify that. And um, the fact that we kind of did it and achieved it. And we were told afterwards that it was the first gold medal that, GB had ever won um, for women at the Junior Worlds, which was really cool. Um, so we got to have a good chat with, um, like, you know, so Rich Bolton, who's the head of the the Junior program at the time, and then Dai, who was um, chair of British Rowing, um, had come to Retreat Say to watch, and like she came and, and gave us a big congratulations, and yeah, it was um, it, it was a, a really cool culmination of quite a, a strange year um and still kind of can't believe that I went through that and from a small club in Stratford to, to going to the World Champs it was uh, yeah it was quite special.
0: It's a really cool process from what you just described you know looking back to your your first race of you <laughs> falling in <laughs> to, <laughs> to that what a cool transition.
1: Yeah and I, I think I think to be honest, like I, you know, I put my hands up. I've 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 never been the fastest, never been the fastest person, right? I've had to kind of scrap my way through trials, and I was always kind of clinching and clinging on through each sort of stage of my my rowing development. But you know, I had a really good set of supportive parents, and I kind of it just kept going back to it and kept working at it, and yeah, I mean as I say, like, it was fantastic to make the crew. I was by no means the most talented athlete in that crew. In fact, like, if you look on to see what, you know, some of the other girls went on to do, it was uh, amazing. Um, And, you know, I I stepped into the program at Durham after that and had a great time, but, you know, that was kind of the pinnacle of where my rowing career went was just sneaking into the the junior women's eight that that won the worlds, but you know i missed out on the under 23s um i had some good rowing experiences at durham but like yeah I, i do always look back to that and think oh what a great experience that was and um you know i i really appreciate it now that i've kind of been through it and and i look back at it
0: absolutely so after that race i think you kind of broadened out in terms of what you were doing within rowing. is this when you're volunteering started as well
1: yeah so I did a little bit of volunteering so when I was I kind of been to the Junior Worlds and then I had another year left at school so I went to the Junior Worlds as a J17 um and then my J18 year I was I, I was an under 23 by that point in like the eyes of selection because my birthday was a Christmas birthday and so i I would, wasn't eligible um, to race at the juniors in my last year at school. Um, so whilst I was doing my A-levels, I had a, you know, again, like when you choose your A-levels at school, you get a bit more time around your, your free periods and things to get involved in other things. And so one of the things that I chose to do is like an extracurricular alongside my A-levels was get involved in a lot of sort of outreach projects with rowing and sports. So um, we did some indoor rowing competitions with you know, some of the younger years and, and I helped kind of set that up and run those. Um, and again, those people that enjoyed it sort of pointed them in the right direction to join the boat club and and sort of support them on their learn to row journey and then I did some bits on the run up to 2012 because of course at this point we're in 2011 you know the year before the Olympic Games and so there was so much buzz around you know getting young people involved in sport and and how we can use this movement to engage with people that wouldn't usually have access to, to these kind of facilities or, or you know, even know how to get into um, a sport like rowing, um, anything that's not on a school program. And so I kind of ended up doing a lot of work with the like Youth Sport Trust um, and um, all of those kind of charitable foundations. Um, I became an ambassador, um, a platinum ambassador for the Youth Sport Trust. And so I did a lot of work with them. Um, again, sort of coaching rowing and and getting kids into, um, I remember going to like the Godiva festival in Coventry and, and getting kids sat on an ergo and, and signing up to their local rowing clubs in Warwick and, you know, Evesham or wherever it was. Um, so yeah, it, it was great to be able to sort of give back uh, to what initially got me into the sport in the first place. Um, And so it didn't even feel like a chore at all. Like It just felt like it was something I wanted to do. Um, And I wanted people to find rowing in the same way that I'd found rowing as someone that wasn't very, very sporty and and hadn't really considered it because I just think that there's something out there for everyone. And that that isn't necessarily rowing for some people, right? Like some people may sit on the rowing machine and go, God, never going to do that again. That was the worst experience of my life. But um, you will find, you know, they might be, um, terrific archery protege or you know they might be fantastic at ice skating and they just don't know it yet because they've not been given the opportunity and I just felt like I'd sat on that rowing machine all those years ago and enjoyed it so much that somebody else must will find that at at one point so yeah it was great
0: yeah I I was just about to touch on that really because the way you mentioned how well you're welcomed at the start when you first started talking that. Sounded like something you wanted to emulate yourself, really.
1: Yeah. And the rowing community, uh, you know, again, it's the reason I'm, I'm sat here now. Right. And it's only my, my love for the community has only snowballed throughout time. And again, if you'd have asked me, even at that point when I'd been involved in the sport for you know five, six years, that um, the it, it would only keep getting better for me and not necessarily through the athlete route but just through the general involvement and community route um i, I don't know if i'd have believed myself it, you know because at that point all i wanted to do was row on the water and and be really fast and you know make the end of and potentially go to the olympics and and actually you know uh, it's so much more than that um and going back to sort of the key reason why I really enjoy this sport, it it is it's the people and it's the and and I think highlighting that to somebody and even if that's just one person who takes it up because they feel really welcomed and that you know they can learn a new skill and and find a new set of friends and then eventually become you know a commentator or an umpire or you know a coach themselves, I, I just think that that's now I look back and I realise that that's what at the time I think sort of kept spurring me on.
0: Yeah of course and you were recognised for that in 2012 right?
1: Yeah, um, I mean I still pinch myself to this day that this ever happened to me because like uh, yeah I I just can't believe that this is, when you say like a once in a lifetime opportunity this is the only thing I can ever think of. Like, uh, you know, it, it sort of blows everything else out the water as, yeah. Um, How do
0: they even contact you for this, by the way? Is, do they phone you? Do they, do they
1: email I you? Have a, <laughs> I have a really funny story about this actually. So um, I was, so yeah, it was 2011. Was it 2011? Yeah, it would have been the summer before. So 2011, it was August and I, I was at Reading Festival <laughs> with my mate who we, you know, had the summer off rowing. it was August, like I'd kind of finished um, finished the season, was ready to go to university and wanted like one last kind of hurrah before, before heading off. And um, so we, we went to Reading Festival and I remember sitting in a tent and I had all these missed calls off my mum and I was like, oh, what? What, you know, is my mum worried about me? My mum's usually pretty chill with like, just letting me get on and do what I want. And she's quite used to me just like, going off to rowing camps or whatever. So she she's not particularly like, um, homesick, child sick, I don't know. Like, she doesn't usually check up on me very much. Um, sure. And I saw these with schools and I was a bit like, oh, like I have probably, something serious has probably gone on at home. And my mum was like, "Camilla, like, have you have you heard the news?" And I was like, "What news?" And, and she was like, "Oh, I've, you've got this letter, and it says you need to check your emails." And I was like, "And again, in 2011, you forget, like, it's a good 10 years ago now. There wasn't much. I didn't have much like data on my phone or anything to be like email. You know, checking my emails at reading, and it was still old school. You know, iPhone three kind of era we're talking." Um, My phone probably didn't even have any charge at this point, um, given I was in the middle of a field. And yeah, my mum was like, oh, you've had this letter. Um, You've been nominated by British Rowing to be a torchbearer for the Olympics. You need to get them all these forms and you need to accept. And... (laughs) My mum was like, how are we gonna do this with you in Reading and, and <laughs> me here? So I had to get my mum to like, fill out all these forms for me and like send all this stuff back off whilst I was like camping in a field. And I just remember like turning to my friend and being like, I've just been asked whether I wanna carry the Olympic torch next summer. <laughs> and at the time it was kind of like, there was a load of hoops still to jump through, right? Cause you need to be like security checked and like formally confirmed, but, Yeah, it was, it was crazy. And um, then like, I think it was the Chris, yeah, it was a Christmas, like I just did my first term at university as a fresher that I got confirmed. So um, that was another like big celebration of like, wow, I was actually going to get to do this ridiculously unrealistic thing that I never thought in a million years I'd ever get the chance to do. Um, Yeah, it was crazy.
0: That's spectacular. That is absolutely amazing.
1: Ah, uh, And yeah, the, the day rolled around and well, a few weeks before you get told like where you're, where you're going to be like, and you, you don't know, it could have been anywhere, right? There were X amount of people carrying it on my leg. So July the 1st, 2012. And all we knew was that it was traveling between, I think it was Birmingham and Coventry. And that out of the 30 people that were carrying it between Birmingham and Coventry, to probably a few more. Um, that you'd be somewhere along that route, and that's all we got told. So I had no idea whether I was going to be on like a back street in Coventry or like in the Bull Ring or wherever. Um, so I just kind of sat tight, and then we got all the information through just a few weeks before, and it was like, oh, you're getting your flame lit outside of Shakespeare's birthplace, and so <laughs> so I'd gone from like not really believing it to then having like the Sunday times, like taking photos of me outside Shakespeare's birthplace. And I was kind of like, am I a fraud? Like, I really don't deserve, <laughs> I don't really know what I've done to, to deserve to be here. <laughs> um, it was just so surreal. Like the weirdest thing, really, really strange.
0: What was it like? Did, did you run with it? Did you walk with it? What did you
1: do? Um, a <laughs> bit of both. Um, so, uh, the The coolest thing, I cried, so I cried when was the Very bit cool. where, <laughs> not when I was actually running with the torch, this is the thing, I, I, <laughs> I you all get put on a bus, like, you all get told to me, it was like a pub car park, it was a bit weird, um, they sort of were like, turn up at this time, at this location, and it was all quite hush-hush, um, oh. and it was like this random pub car park where everyone who was carrying the torch in that particular section got their torch given to them, like they all got set up, um, ready to obviously be lit. And you got talked through all the procedures of like what to do, what not to do. And we all got loaded onto this bus and everyone then like kind of introduced themselves and who they were and and why they'd been nominated. And um, I just remember driving and we kind of came over the crest of this like hill into Stratford town as we'd like been dropping people off along the way and it was, I kid you not, I've never seen more people in my life. Like it was so <laughs> overwhelming, like just seeing the sea of people that had all come to see the Olympic torch. And for me, it was just like this realization that the Olympics has such a pull over so many people. And it's so important that, you know, this one thing that was happening forced the entire town, of Stratford-upon-Avon to come and watch. And it was just ridiculous. like, I just cannot even describe the feeling of seeing how many people wanted to be involved in the Olympic movement and see the torch and be a part of it. And so, yeah, for me, it was just that like overwhelming feeling of seeing everyone. I'm getting emotional talking about it now. Like it was, it was so <laughs> cool. Um, so, yeah, and then once I kind of got over that and I got sort of dropped off on the bus and they were like, cool, we'll see you in an hour, I sort of stood outside with this thing for <laughs> for an hour waiting for the, the torch to get all the way up to us. Um, It was, yeah, that was quite fun because then I got to chat. I saw a few people I knew and, you know, we had photos taken, and, you know, buses that came by with all the sponsors and it was a lot of fun. You know, it was like a big party. Um, But yeah, then my torch got lit by the... The person before me was actually another boat club member who was the old one of the oldest members of the club who was um, his name is Peter Wyatt um, sadly passed away last year um uh, absolute legend who was part of the like initial Stratford-Upon-Avon crew that had gone to the Olympic trials in 1948. Um, when they were held at Henley um, before the last London Olympics. And so he'd gone to the trials in the Stratford Four. They'd made the semi-final, um, were knocked out by, I think it was that Oxford Juni who went on eventually to represent Great Britain at the 48 Olympics when they were last in London. But he was a member of the club. And so it was it was this really nice um, link between Peter and then myself and the club and, and you know, it was a really um special moment for the boat club um for everyone to kind of feel like we had a big part to play in in London, and then yeah, I kind of shuffled i mean they were like, you can't run too fast, but you also can't walk, so if you can kind of keep <laughs> at a mid pace, um I think they basically have like they had like an allotted time for the leg to get to where it needed to be at the end of the day, right, and so those who were able to jog they're kind of encouraged if if you're able just keep it at a nice jogging pace don't dawdle because we need to get on to the next person but you know you, we want you to enjoy your moment and don't sprint mm. the whole thing so yeah it was it was uh, fairly fairly contained but um I wasn't out of breath <laughs> which I thought again I was like oh god can I even run this far <laughs> gets <to> the end <laughs>
0: try not to cough and laugh (laughs) um
1: always said I was never good at running
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) I want to talk a bit more about some of your other volunteering because doesn't commentating stem from some of your volunteering did you volunteer kind of commentary for British rowing
1: yeah so after I finished university I kind of I, i got to the point where i'd rode at a pretty high level at university i would missed out on the under 23s by a seat and was at that point where i was like i never want to look at boat again like get me (laughs) out of here no way am i sitting on the leg that's rubbish um so i i went to start coaching at durham like i coached the freshers program um that year after I, i left kind of studying and with that i then got the kind of coaching volunteer bug back again so I'd spent a lot of time focusing on being an athlete and trying to make the squad and um putting all my effort into performance and I I mean I had been I'd been president of the club so I was doing a lot of like administrational volunteering myself but it felt felt quite intense because I was trying to spin a lot of plates and do a degree and it wasn't like a it wasn't like a relief thing it was like a I want the club to be the best it can be. And, and that can be quite stressful, but uh, the sort of coaching of the fresh program got me back into enjoying being involved in the sport again. Um, and after I, I kind of wrapped up my, the learn to row program. So my job at Durham was to do that big induction in October when all the freshers come to Durham and teach 500 First years, how to row in the space of eight weeks, which you know you're doing sort of seven a.m. till ten p.m. every day, like you know clocking these people through the rowing machines and the rowing tank and all that sort of stuff. um And so I kind of got to the end of that, decided that it was time for me to get get a real world job in inverted commas. So <laughs> kind of went around the grad fair at Durham and and decided that you know I was going to get a corporate job. um The corporate job that I got ended up moving me to Edinburgh. Um, and from there, I sort of, uh, uh, Edinburgh didn't really have any ties with rowing for me other than the, the uni where my boyfriend now fiance at the time was at uni. So he was involved in the boat club there, but I wasn't rowing. I didn't have any links to it. I'd sort of, you know, wait for them to get back from their races, um, in the winter of that year, you know, they'd gone to Buck's head and come back and I was a bit like, oh, you know, mm. uh, uh, I miss it. I do I really miss it and so I uh, I somebody got in touch with me from Bucks I think it was James Lee um who basically was like oh you know if you're you're not racing we're actually really down on commentators this year like you know the person who runs the commentary teams at a wedding and you know we're we're really short on commentators and I don't know if you fancy it and I had done a little bit of commentary at like the junior br junior champs the year before more as like a fun thing i knew um, one of the guys who ran the team there i'd done a little bit of kind of just like chatting on the mic but nothing very serious and so <laughs> i i got uh, i got to Bucks and and to say that i was kind of thrown into it was a massive understatement in that like it was me and i think maybe like two other people on the commentary team and so they were like well here you go like you're on until midday you're doing six hours of commentary like good luck um and and I just I just kind of had to do it right and and you know I had a little bit of guidance from um the people who were there at the time but mostly it was it it was just me chatting and because I was so fresh out of uni you know I knew a lot of the people racing because they were all my friends from racing against them at you know, I was at Durham, so I knew all the Newcastle people, and the Brooks people, and the Imperial people, and whoever, right, and so I was just chatting about my friends who were out racing on the water, and enjoying themselves, and so it came quite easily to me to, like, you know, talk about the racing, and had a great time, and I remember, <laughs> remember, and he probably doesn't remember this, but, um, Andy Crawford, who's, he's a steward at Henny Royal, um, he is, hugely involved in loads of the British rowing events and bucks like he's one of these people he's behind the scenes of everything right and I remember him tapping on the window and kind of poking his head around and being like do you think you'll be free for um Henley women's regatta and I was like um I don't know May he was like you should do this at Henley women's and I was a bit like oh, I don't really know what I'll be doing then, but that's cool. And so, yeah, that's kind of how how I got into commentary. It, it, it was such a fall in, genuinely, it was such a fall into it that um, I kind of finished Bucks. And then I'd before I knew it, I'd got an email about doing the British rowing senior champs and the junior champs again, and Henley women's. And it was all a bit of a kind of like crazy blur, and then, at the end of so yeah the first event was the may was bucks i'd got asked to do henny women's i did june i'd been asked to be our junior champs which would have been the july and then (laughs) i sat at my desk at work in i think it was the june um after i'd done a couple of these events like i was just so like turn up and talk I have no idea what I'm doing I just kind of kept getting emails being like do you want to come and do this do you want to come and do that And I was like yeah sure and I I got this Twitter direct message and I opened it it was like Sir Matthew Pinson (laughs) and I was like what and I was at my desk at work and I was a bit like I don't really know what's going on here and I had this message from Sir Matthew Pinson being like hi Camilla do you mind if I have your email address I was a bit like oh What could you want that for? Oh my (laughs) word, this is all all a bit crazy and um, it was the first year that Henley Royal did the broadcasting on YouTube Um, and so that, that was all kind of bubbling away in the background but hadn't really been announced yet and so I kind of didn't really have a clue why this had hit me like a train. Um, and at that point, like I was so excited, like nobody else in my office knew who Sir Matthew Vincent was, maybe one or two, but I was there being like, I just got this message from the staff. Like, <laughs> this is a big deal. Like, this is crazy. Um, and, <laughs> and I then proceeded to get an email from Sir Steve Redgrave being like, hi Camilla, do you want to be part of the first Henley Royal broadcast commentary team for our broadcast channel? And I was like, how, how, how did I go from here to, like, this has all gone very quickly, I don't really know what I'm doing, and are you sure you've got the right person, because, like, two months ago, I was talking rubbish about some crews at Bucks, and now, 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 you're wanting me to broadcast this, like, I think you've got the wrong person, like, no, no, um, so yeah, it all kind of accelerated very quickly, it went from, like, zero to 100 within, like, Two months. Um yeah, it was a bit wild.
0: <laughs> so what was what was Henley like then having gone from that?
1: Um it's the broad doing Henley Royal was maybe again, I keep like th- thinking about these things and looking back and being like, at the time it felt like the biggest thing that I could ever do. I was like, this is a, I am absolutely in awe of all these people. And, you know, I was looking at the names of the people that were going on to the rotor next to me. And I was just like, I can't, like, I can't do this. Like, there's no way (laughs) I can sit in this room pretending to talk about rowing next to, like my rotor for the week, when I got given it, it was like, oh, Wednesday you'll be with Gary Herbert and on on Thursday you'll be with Alex Gregory. um, And then we'll decide from there, like who does the weekend. Um, based on like you know who's fitting well together and all this kind of stuff. So so like I'm turning up and I, I like shuffle into the the regatta headquarters on the Wednesday at Henley, having like no idea. Like obviously it was really new to everyone at that point, right? Like the the sort of YouTube mm-hmm. was really new. It was a big gamble. Like it was a big gamble. It was a lot of investment for the regatta and and so they all w- really wanted to make it work and there was a lot of eyes on it right there was a lot of people looking at how it was going to function and so it kind of it wasn't only like really nerve-wracking because it was the biggest thing that i'd ever done from a commentary mm. perspective uh, ever in my first like few weeks of commentating but then there was also all these like people getting quite like I did not not stress about it, but like, they were obviously really wanting it to work so that it became a long-term thing. And so I, I plonked myself down next to Gary Herbert. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I have no idea. And chatting away, like, you know, with Gary Herbert, like all good. And then I came back from my next slot with whoever it was, like Alex Gregory, or oh, no, that was it. Alex Gregory was there because he was on the next slot. And I remember him being like, Oh, you know, good job. Well done. I was like, that's Alex Gregory, like you sat behind me listening to me commentate. I was so starstruck the whole time. I just kept being like, it's you and it's you and it's you. Um, <laughs> and so yeah, I had Alex Gregory sat on the floor behind listening to me doing my commentary. So I was a bit like, uh, 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 no idea what I'm doing. Um, left, came back the next day, did my next slot with whoever I was on with. And for that one, <laughs> so, the the first year they obviously hadn't kind of got the infrastructure so we were in this back room at regatta headquarters which is the building on the bridge um, in Henley right um past finish past Leander um they got us in this like office room with all the production team next door so you were out the way right you weren't in the regatta at all we were off site and it was Although, like I said, it was a bit of hustle and bustle of people kind of coming in and out and checking it was all fine. And um, the, the sort of stewards that were in charge were Samantha Pinson and, and Neil Chigani. And so they were kind of coming in and out intermittently being like, is everything OK? Like everything working well, like, any feedback? Um, and so I turned up for this next thing and like chatting away to whoever I was on with. I can't remember at this time who it was. And. I, I made the mistake of turning around during, like, during a break between races, and I spun. Mm-hmm. And Steve Redgrave stood like here, like right behind me, with um, all these other stewards. And I just, I, I stopped. I froze. I was like, I, I can't do this. I, I, he's, he's listening. He's listening to me. I can't do this. No way. Um, Look at Look at this. and I was like, and obviously everyone else who was in the room was like, "Oh yeah, obviously." And I was just there, like, he's listening to me commentate. Like, this is crazy. Um, I'm not worthy of this. Um, and yeah, that that then I then got asked whether I wanted to do the weekend, so I ended up doing the semi-finals on the Saturday, which again was like mind blowing that I was even I, that I was even doing the the commentary right and then they were suddenly like oh you know we'd like to give you a slot in the semi-finals um which was amazing and as again anyone that's been to Henley knows like there's such like once you get into those weekend races some of the races were just so spectacular to commentate on and to watch and to be a part of that just felt so lucky to be sat watching them live in this big new thing for the regatta right for this live stream to be as impressive as it was in year 1 with the kind of side by side footage and the the sort of boom footage that they had and all the pictures were amazing right they got it they got it absolutely spot on and it's only got it was great um that first year was just i, I they pulled it together so well cuz I, I think um it would have been easy to be quite tentative with something so huge um in the first year but it really went all out and yeah it was it was really special and um definitely that's something that's going to stick with me and it's been great ever since so um I've been part of the team since that 2015 year and uh, we've kind of grown and changed bits and and you know we're now in the regatta, we sit on the finish line rather than off site in <laughs> Regatta headquarters. They've actually allowed us to be on site, which is uh, quite nice. So we get to be really close to the athletes and the racing. Yeah. yeah,
0: where is where is your position, I and mean, lead to actually commentate?
1: So we are now, unless it changes, which again it could do depending on what happens this year and every year beyond. But for the last few years, we've been underneath the press box. So if you know mm. um, where the both tents are there's a kind of jetty that um, peels off that goes towards the, there's like a floating stand that's opposite the finishing um, box. And that's where on the top deck is where all the press sits. So all the journos from, you know, Rachel Quarrell to whoever else all sit with a beautiful view. One of the best views of the entire course on that top deck. And then we'd sit on the bottom deck um, with all of our sort of screens and commentary equipment so we get the full view at the course and and of the finish line so yeah it's um you feel right in the action I mean certainly the closest I've ever been to racing on the the regatta course
0: (laughs) it's fantastic and so how did you find out about the world rowing uh competition for commentary how did that come across to you
1: so I uh, so that would have been so 2018 so i've been commentating voluntarily at british rowing events bucks henny women's henny royal for, for a couple of years at that point and i was at buck's head now I, obviously not much commentary going on at buck's head i was doing other various volunteer tasks like sitting in the cold with a stopwatch um you know all those kind of fun things to make sure that the rowing goes ahead and everyone gets a race. Um, And uh, I remember going up into the sort of um, race control area after the day had finished and delivering all my sort of stopwatch and timing gear back to one of the guys there, Phil. um, And he said to me, he's like, oh, Camilla, he's like, whilst I see you, he's like, I've been meaning to speak to you. Um, I think World Rowing are, are looking for a, a commentator. Like I, I hear that they, they're gonna be looking for a commentator that the, the team needs some, you know, new voices. You should absolutely get in touch with them. And I was like, oh, cool, thanks Phil. Like, that's good to know. Like definitely would be interested, that would be great. And at this point I had no idea kind of what what that meant, you know, um, what that would be for me, like what, what these people did, you know, how it worked. Um, so I I basically dug out an old email that I had um, from someone that you know very well, Mr. Peter O'Hanlon. Um, now, Pete had run one of the British rowing commentary teams years ago, like the 2015 senior well, senior British champs team that was in that first year that I ever commentated. And I, I dug this email out to, to get his email details. And I was like, ah, oh, he's on the world rowing commentary team. Like he, I was on his team at British Rowing Senior Champs. Like I'd not really spoken to him for what, three years at that point. We didn't sort of know each other that well. And so I sent this email off into the blue um, and you know, dear Peter, I have heard there might be something coming up at, in the world rowing commentary team. I've been advised that, you know, I should get in touch and, and see like, do you know if anything's, you know, do you know if you guys need anyone? And Pete was great. He came back really quickly. Let's um, say, probably at this point, didn't have the foggiest uh, who I was, to be quite, to be quite clear. <laughs> like he would not have known me from Adam. Um, and he, he he was so great and was like, look, um, you know, I, I I think there will be something happening, but if you just park it for for a few weeks, there might be something coming up. Keep your eye on the World Rowing website. But once that comes up, let me know, and we should have a call. So I I sort of waited and watched and sort of kept all these eyes and ears out and eventually the competition got released. And so I was like, oh, this must be what Pete was talking about. And so I got back in touch with Pete and I said, oh, I've seen the, the details of the competition and, and everything that I need to do. Um, it would be great to have a chat. So I remember being at my flat in Edinburgh and having this really long chat Pete O'Hanlon and and him kind of talking me through you know what his job was and what he did and the way world rowing works and the way the commentary works and then we kind of moved on to what would be expected of the the recordings and and genuinely for me it was just a case of like asking questions to learn more about how because at this point I'd had no coaching whatsoever on, on commentary or broadcast like I had just fluked my way through Talking rubbish about rowing for mm-hmm. three years, <laughs> and had had no like constructive feedback um, in any professional manner from anyone as to how to improve my my skills, right? And and you do kind of you self. You self-reflect and you listen to yourself back sometimes which is quite difficult at live events to do that because obviously everything's not being recorded it's just going out onto the speaker system but someone else was in the tower you know my my other half will he does a bit of commentary as well and so he'd go oh you know you actually you said this probably a bit too much and have you thought about leaving a pause here or your tone here um but you know nothing professional at all and so I just kind of took the opportunity to ask Pete all these questions about, you know, how I should go about doing these recordings and and what his advice was. And genuinely, he was so, so helpful. And I, I think he would have done this for anyone entering the competition, right? If they'd have reached out to Pete, he is such, he's so kind with his time and he is so like he, he's so fair and so constructive right and and again not in a harsh way of of saying oh you know that's rubbish and you need to do this like he's got a really good manner of of being able to kind of give you help but not spoon feed you um and give you some really good pointers and so i'd sent a couple of my clips off to him and he'd sort of fed back and gone oh you know I, I think you should include a bit more about how you describe the atmosphere. And he was like, I know it's really hard because you're not there, but part of your job as a commentator is to paint a picture of, of where you are because everyone that's listening to you, they might not be in the stand, they might be somewhere else. So, you know, talk to them about what the conditions are like and where you are in the world and, and put context on it. And that was just something I'd never thought of before because for me, all of my commentary had just gone out to people that, were there out of a speaker at Bucks regatta right they did not care about the fact it's 23 miles an hour wind and and cloudy um but it was just something to that I just never thought of before and, and so again that happened over a couple of different clips and he'd given me this feedback so eventually I was confident enough to sort of push the button and send it away um and yeah the rest is history I, I, I sort of Waited a couple of months and eventually got the call up from Colleen at the time. Colleen, um, who um, Osmond um, dropped me a call and were like, they were like, "Yeah, we're about to announce that you've won the competition. Um, can you make it to Belgrade in a few weeks' time?" So yeah, it was it was amazing.
0: I was going to say, off to Belgrade you went.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> toddled off to Belgrade where um, yeah, it was all. It was all really new and really different in a lot of ways, but also really familiar in that once I'd kind of built it up in my head and I don't know whether you, you do this as well, but when you go to a new regatta course or like a new big event or, you know, the worlds for the first time, I'd sort of built up this picture in my head of like what it could look like and what it was gonna be like to have all of these international athletes kind of parading around the boat park and whether you know the commentary setup would be any different and imagining all these different things and then I turned up and I got shown around um, by a couple of the guys at World Rowing and sort of inducted on where to be and they'd sort of you know brought me along to the um team managers meeting that happens at the beginning of every regatta is just like uh it would be good for you to listen to this to get a bit of a sense of overall of of what's going on and then uh, after that it was kind of like well briefings tomorrow morning you're going to be up the course and um good luck and and just do what do what you need to do um and enjoy it so there i went with my stack of paper and uh, belgrade it's like a um if you've been to belgrade which I know you would have done it's like a beach that goes all the way up the course um and it's it's really popular it's like a big um like local sunning sunning spot um there's lots of like bars and restaurants and whatever and um I'd been paired up for my first time with Martin Cross which again I was kind of in awe of the fact I'd even get to sit next to Crossy, let alone like commentate with him. And I was just like, oh, can't mess this up. Mm -hmm. This guy is like the person I've listened to for the last however many years of being obsessed with rowing. So we sort of went toddling off up the course. Um, We sat in this, (laughs) again, it was just, it's really nice because um, what I've come to realise is that like at every event, there's always some element of just like, making it work, which is the same all the way from like, you know, Beaudley regattas where I'm falling in, in 2007 to the world cup where we'd sort of got like a, a set of chairs and a table from the local bar at the thousand meter marker. And they were bringing us like milkshakes uh, in the breaks in racing. And we were using the Wi-Fi from the cafe and all sort of like, it was just a bit of an element of like, familiarity of okay this is just the same as commentating anything else and um just enjoy the racing and enjoy watching it and because it was the first kind of world cup of the season there was obviously a lot of like you know there were a lot of people trialing different bits out and some of the racing was um you know, there weren't quite as many people there as perhaps would have come to the World Cups later in the season. So it was a really nice kind of warm up for me to to get into it and sort of understand, understand how it all worked. But still in saying that, like I remember like really distinctly being able to commentate on someone like the O'Donovan brothers in the lightweight double and that being, you know, cool to see them racing in person, mm. like from 100 meters away. Um And yeah, I think... Crossy was fantastic at just sort of letting me do my thing and he is he is just a really like expressive guy you know he he just he doesn't really well I don't know maybe I should ask him more about what his you know commentating philosophy is but like he just knows so much about rowing and he's just like let it flow. Just talk. He's like, just go. You you lead it. Don't wait for me to tell you what to say. Like, just, just say it. And so I ended up just like commentating all these races with Crossy just sort of sat next to me being like, no, no, just carry on. Just keep going. Um, And yeah, that was just uh, by the, the sort of last day of the, the world cup by the finals day, they'd sort of moved Crossy onto the video. And so I was kind of let loose to commentate by myself with my, Serbian co-commentator because you know one when, when you're what I've come to learn now is when you're commentating on site at world rowing events especially like the world cups and the world champs is you get a local language co-commentator who is there to kind of hand off to and, and to commentate with for all the local language speakers who have bought a ticket to come and watch you know the big local sporting event that's come to the town and so um yeah, it, it was great to be working with with them. And um, it was just a real eye-opening experience to what was to come. And it was great fun. I, I enjoyed my time in Belgrade. It was great getting to know the, the team that I now know really well, which I feel like I've known them for years and years and years. Like, it really does not feel like it's only been well, effectively two years because we've missed a year of, of the season, right? But um, they feel like they've been my friends for, for a really long time. So, uh, yeah, it's nice.
0: I was going to say, it's only been two years, hasn't it, that you've done the – where you've been at the physical events doing the commentary from, yeah, 2018 to 2020, I think.
1: Yeah, so I did Belgrade, and at that point, they were kind of like – the world bearing team were like, well, there's no guarantee – that you'll get to do any further events especially in that year because the way that the commentary sort of works is that they assign events for the year to you know they they put a rotor out and so when I got invited in the sort of spring of, of 2018 all of the further events for that year had already been populated with the 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 regular commentators so there was no guarantee that I'd get to commentate at any further event that season so I kind of parked, parked my microphone at world cup one and went well if that's me I'm I'm happy with that right That that's mm. fantastic um, I've had a really great time um, I'll go back and I'll do Henley and all those kind of things um, and just have a good summer and then in the August I got a message um, from world rowing saying that they'd had a last minute kind of drop out from one of the commentators who was supposed to be going to the Coastal Championships, um, which were which were in Victoria in Canada. Um, And would I be interested in in slotting in and, and filling that seat? And so, I snatched it and I was like, yeah, I mean, that's only in three weeks' time, and I'm gonna have to tell my <laughs> current boss that I'm gonna need a week off work to get to Canada. But you know, sure, why not? I'll I'll take that with both hands and run with it. And so um, I'd never done Coast of Rome before. I had never commentated on Coast of Rome before. I was absolutely not an expert in any way, shape, or form, and I just was <laughs> like, Do you know what? I, I'm just gonna do it, kind of, kind of going back to that sort of box and and Henley Royal of just like I have no idea what I'm doing. This is a whole new side of the sport I do know nothing about. But if I don't take this opportunity to do this now, I will never learn and will never get asked back again. So just do it. Camilla. You may not know anything about your coastal rowing, but how different can it be? So um, mm. yeah, I and
0: they've asked you. They've asked you for a reason as well.
1: Um, well, there's you know again coastal rowing has grown so much in the last couple of years and um, I've been fortunate enough to be invited back to each of the subsequent coastal championships so I have definitely enjoyed learning more about it and you know um, I can't say by that point I'd blown anyone away at World Cup one with my my ridiculously you know eloquent performance because again like I said I had no professional training and I had no idea what I was talking about so um it was it was just nice to be asked and um yeah I I got kind of pushed out onto a boat um with Paul Castle um I get terribly seasick and so I hadn't really thought that through um (laughs) and spent yeah these three days out in this beautiful like absolutely gorgeous um spot in in Victoria um one of the most stunning rowing venues I've ever been to it was absolutely gorgeous you could see Seattle on the horizon and the water I mean not particularly exciting for a coastal championships the water was just pan flat it was like a mirror um and it was the first time believe it or not I'd ever traveled outside of Europe and so I got on that plane <laughs> to Canada being like oh my word I'm I'm being taken to Canada by world rowing. This is my first ever trip outside of Europe. Poor little me who had just like never, never seen the world because I'd been too busy rowing. <laughs> um, Incredible. And yeah, it was, um, I was so excited. Like I was so excited to do a long haul flight. Not that many people can ever say that, but like I was sat on that plane going, I'm going to be on this plane for eight <laughs> hours and that's amazing.
0: <laughs> and- isn't, doesn't Canada for that trip yesterday one of the smallest uh, flights in the world as well, don't you?
1: Yes. Did you, were you in, were you, uh, I was going to say, did you go to the coast? No, I heard you? about it. Ah, oh, it was, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Well remembered. Um, yeah, you do this massive long haul flight to, to Vancouver and then there's a, there's a sort of switch at Vancouver onto this tiny sort of two by two propeller plane. And... I think you can, I think you can get there by other means, but this is the most popular way to get there. I I genuinely couldn't believe that this is the most sort of popular way to get to um, Vancouver Island is it's a 10 minute flight, literally from takeoff to landing, it was 10 minutes and the uh, the the WestJet people who ran the flight that I was on were hilarious. They obviously had this like comedy routine nailed down about like mm-hmm. you know you know when they take off and they do all the like safety features of like you know here's this and here's that and then I just remember whatever they did was really funny because basically they sat down and then got back up again ready for the <laughs> um, coming into landing part and yeah it was and gorgeous right there's all these like little islands that you fly over it was quite dark when I I arrived but there's a lot of little islands that surround that part of BC um with lots of little like habitations on them and people kayaking between the islands and yeah it was absolutely stunning really cool
0: so that was 2018 end of 2018
1: was it yeah that was October
0: 2018 okay um and then you were asked because the next year I'm just thinking you traveling abroad what was you traveling to Tokyo like then
1: <laughs> so yeah I got my rotor for 2019 like by this point bear in mind I had literally done world cup one and I was a last minute call up to the coastal so I really did not yep. think I was in the place to be being like going to any of the major events I thought if I was lucky I'd get like a world cup or two maybe um, uh, who knew right I was just like oh I'll just be grateful to be invited back because it was great fun and I really want to see those guys again who you know all the team and I remember getting my race through and kind of looking at looking at it and being like uh, no surely not like because the lineup for 2019 like rowing is a really eurocentric sport right um in a lot of ways in that quite easy for a lot of the sort of continental Europeans to get to events and so all the World Cups and, and Europeans and everything obviously all in the familiar locations that we we come to know and love um so it's really rare that there's a year where lots of stuff is outside of Europe but in 2019 this year that I'd kind of fallen into into commentating, everything was outside of Europe. It seemed like absolutely everything. It was like one of those crazy years where it was a pre-Olympic year at the time. And so the junior champs were were um, scheduled for Tokyo for the test event. Um, the coastal champs were um, in Hong Kong, China and the coastal, the beach sprints which was the new world rowing event, um, which, I'd been lucky enough to be part of the beach, the first kind of induction beach sprints trial, which was the Commonwealth beach sprints that were held in the UK. I, I'd gone and done a bit of commentary there. And so when they introduced the beach sprints that um, the, that Shenzhen were hosting in China, that was also again, like another quite big event um, that World Rowing were sort of launching. And so I, I ended up in 2019 being given the Europeans in Lucerne. No, yes, Europeans in Lucerne. I went to the World Junior Champs, the World Senior Champs in Linz, which were the Olympic qualifiers, then to China, Hong Kong for the coastals and the beach sprints. So I ended up, like, travelling the world for a year and begging my bosses for time off at work. And um, yeah, it was all all a bit um, star striking for me.
0: <laughs> Isn't it incredible kind of what opportunities can become? Because I still look at my rota, as you call it, for the year and just being like, this is, this is ridiculous. This is absolutely incredible. And I know I kind of want to keep doing it. Um, but it's incredible when I look back at my kind of first interview for doing what i do in the media and having no idea what it would become and what it has flourished into is pretty outrageous to be honest
1: yeah i still i still have that thought that like n- no year is ever secure right and that like you still have to perform and you still have to go to every event and and be in the moment do your prep and and perform to the best of your ability and it just yeah I guess that um it it was just a case of savoring every event I went to and taking each one as it came but being so appreciative that I'd been given this opportunity to be yeah each one of them had such incredible merits to it, right? Like the Europeans, like huge, you know, biggest event in Europe, then to go on to the Junior Champs as the test event and for it to be Tokyo where the Olympics was going to be held. And it was Tokyo, which as I say, kind of blew my mind um, as a city. Uh, And then the Coastal Champs and the Beach Sprints were again, all a really new developing, not so much a new part of the sport, but a developing part of the sport in terms of the kind of public, um attention and and the sort of growth of it in getting sort of new people coming and competing at those kind of events on the world stage so um each of them kind of had their merits and so yeah just taking each event as it came and, and savoring it so that I could better so that I was best prepared for the next time around to go okay like when I evaluate how I've performed at a, a regatta or a, an event I can say yeah okay I did everything that I could there to Um, learn as much as I could about the sport or the nuances of how the event runs or to commentate on things in a certain way so that you know if I never get asked back ever again at least I know for the future that I I did as best as I could Um, but also then if I do get asked back the following year uh, I can then use that as my baseline to to improve again so yeah
0: absolutely absolutely yeah 2019 just thinking about all the events you said you did amazing year but then it culminated in pretty something pretty special as well was it end of 2019 that you were asked to go to the Olympics or was that start 2020
1: yeah so I, I kind of um so it was the end of end of November I think we got uh, those of us that had kind of been asked whether we were interested got contacted about potentially doing Tokyo which again I, within the space of eighteen months of of being involved in the world commentary team, I was a bit like I I don't really know how I've ended up here and um what I've done to you know that sort of imposter syndrome of what have I done to to be here um I feel like everyone I commentate with is so talented and really just really fantastic at what they do and they all have such different styles and ways of bringing the action to everyone that um, I felt like a bit of a fraudster having kind of jumped in and then suddenly being asked to go to Tokyo was just like everything I'd ever dreamed of. Uh, That was something that I kind of had planned for 10 years down the line, not two. And so, yeah, again, it was just kind of a case of taking up the opportunity as it came and, and plan for what my work were going to say to me. (laughs) later about taking the whole summer off to go off on a jaunt to Tokyo I was like "Ah, oh, deal with that later I'll find a way to make it work so uh yeah it um it was everything I could have ever dreamed of and it was a shame that obviously the opportunity kind of got put on pause and I don't really know you know what that means for this year I, I've not had any kind of you know confirmation of, of whether it might be possible in 2021, but um, certainly, you know, even to get to the point of being confirmed for the 2020 um, for the summer and and the intention of, you know, being able to go out and commentate on both the Olympics and the Paralympics um, was, yeah, I don't want to say it was enough. I would obviously have loved to have gone and and to done it and fingers crossed. um, I'm hoping that I might get to go this year. I don't know, as I say, it's in the hands of those that decide, but um, yeah keeping all my fingers and toes firmly crossed.
0: Excellent. But within two years to be able to be asked to go to the Olympics, that is that's pretty special because they have a big commentary team that they can um pick and choose from. So to choose you to go to the special one.
1: Yeah, I mean I don't um as I say I don't really think about it. I just think about what I'm doing, I guess, and like where I'd like to be and um I just want the best for everyone and for everyone to kind of do what they want to do to the capacity that they want to do it in. You know, it's a big commitment, right? To sort of go to all the events and to put a lot of time into not only the physical commentary, but like we were saying, all the prep that goes along with it and the flights and the the sort of, you know, volunteering stuff that goes around keeping track on who's doing what in the winter when there's no racing going on, like all of that is you kind of have to encapsulate yourself in the world to 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 make it work at this level, I guess. Um, but it I think for everyone, they have different like goals that they want to get out of their commentary. You know, I know some of the commentary team obviously have their own families and, you know, they've they've got kids of their own and um, it can be you know it's a big pull on time right so I guess you know I'm lucky enough that I say lucky enough at the moment you know I'm a fairly free agent in that it's just me and my fiance, and he's also a rowing bod and so he doesn't mind me sort of signing up to everything and grabbing everything with both hands and saying yes and and you know I'm such a I'm such a yes person that uh, I find it really difficult to turn things down so I've been very lucky that he's kind of supported me through all of that. And allowed me to, you know, not have to think about saying no and, and turning things down. Yet I, I know there will probably come a time where, you know, the the shift in the balance will have to, you know, be thought about a bit more. But I see people like, you know, Pete for instance, who he's got, you know, his beautiful family that um, he lives with and his two little girls, and yeah, he's the best in the business, right, <laughs> um, in the tower. And um, if he can make it work, then you know, looking to draw. <laughs> life lessons and inspiration from him on, on how he does that. And, uh, yeah.
0: Absolutely. So your, your plan for now is to continue this as much as possible into the future.
1: Yeah. Just carry on taking opportunities, I guess, like it's, it's done well for me so far. And I think that's one thing that, um, has kind of got me to where I am is just, just saying yes to things and and figuring it out later. Um, and it, it, I think if I can carry on doing that for as long as, you know, it's possible until I get to a point where it, it's not feasible for me to do that anymore then I think it can only lead to more really exciting opportunities and yeah I'm really excited I'm for the first time I'm going to be on the video commentary for the Europeans with with Crossy um which the first time I've ever been offered to do that so um finally when people ask me where they can listen to my commentary because for the last two years well two three years people have gone oh that's really cool you're going to You're going to the world champs in Linz. Where can I listen to you? Where can I hear you? And Mm. I go, Oh, Oh, I'm really, you actually can't listen to me because my commentary goes out in the stands. You know, so myself, Pete, Robert, all those guys, we we do the commentary for the people that have bought tickets in the stands and it's the guys like Martin Cross and Sarah and, and Greg and, Cat that all do the video stuff um, and for the first time I'm, I'm doing the video commentary for the Europeans um, in Varese in, in a week's time so I'm finally going to be able to say to people when they go oh where can we <laughs> listen to you commentating I'll be able to go here you can watch me you can listen I'll, you'll hear my voice it's <laughs> um, so a brand new challenge altogether <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, I thought I'd work um, to a kind of summary here because I wanted to get your thoughts on this kind of having Uh, heard you talk through all this which has been actually really inspiring to me so thank you. First thing is how proactive I think you've been especially at the start with all your volunteering however kind of recently we've just been talking about opportunities and you taking taking them so if an opportunity comes up you take it and then you kind of think about it later but that's also only become apparent or available because of how Proactive and how much given you back, how much you have given back within volunteering. So you've created this amazing circle for yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah. I guess if you think about, it, I've not really thought about it in that way. If I'm really honest, like I guess that sort of does sum up. The more there's that, you know, that phrase of the more you put in, the more you get out, right? And I think that is absolutely true of everything in life, um, not just you know specifically with rowing and and. Um, volunteering and and putting back into the sport that's given all of us who are involved so much but you know I feel the same for I feel that rowing teaches you a lot of really good values about time management and and managing your goals and putting the work in to get the results and I, I think that that's been really good for me as well in my professional career both with outside of commentary work you know I'm a I'm a recruitment consultant I'm a headhunter effectively outside of work and you know I think getting that trust and that buy-in from everyone that I work with um that I put the work in and I give up my time at work in order to get the to get the rewards back you know that they've been great with supporting me through all of my commentary and it's the same with putting the work in at volunteering at you know events like bucks and British rowing champs and local regattas um, and that you never know who's going to be there and and ask you to to come back to that next event and I think that's one thing that I I get asked so much like how how do you get invited to all of these events like how do you get invited to Henley Royal and how do you get invited to um, you know Henley Women's and all of these these events and I think the answer is like turn up to the events that you don't think anyone's going to be at because that's often where like if you put in the work and you show that you're giving back there's always someone that will tap you on the shoulder and go actually like I've seen you're you're really interested and helpful and like that's all you need to be like all you need to be is keen you don't need any skill or um hidden talent You, you just you will learn so much just from turning up, and I think for me, like just say go to, you know, Stourport Regatta and sit on the finish line and help the umpire, or you know, message that person on Twitter to ask them if you can help out with commentary at the National Schools Regatta. Like, just go out and and take take up the opportunities, even if you're not sure about it. You'll learn more by turning up than by never knowing and then just spending the whole rest of your life going oh i wonder how you get invited to those events because i think without you going and and sort of putting your hand up it, it's sort of like you say it, it goes in cycles right the more you put your hand up to the more you get invited back to in return and those things kind of build up and build up um and that's how that's how it all kind of works
0: i think that's the perfect ending
1: perfect
0: you've summarized (laughs) it up perfectly um thank you so much for doing this i i really really enjoyed it um and actually learned a lot so thanks again
1: no thanks for having me van it's been great and great to catch up like i've not seen you in quite some time so um i'm hoping the next time we see each other it's in person
0: (laughs) i know hopefully an event soon we're not completely sure which event that will be but uh fingers and limbs crossed like you said
1: perfect wonderful